Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello everyone, I'm Chris Wynn. Welcome to the Rugger Report podcast in association with the Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen, where after our disappointing and frustrating draw at Shrewsbury in midweek, we prepare for Sunderland's second successive game on the road at Cambridge United this weekend. And to help us bring us up to speed with all the latest at the Abbey Stadium, we're very pleased to have the company of the Matchday Summariser for Cambridge United on BBC Radio Cambridgeshire, which is Doug Shulman. Hello, Doug. Good evening, Chris. Nice to be here with you. Yeah, welcome to the Rugger Report podcast. How are you keeping? Uh, yeah, not so bad. Been a long day and obviously uh, an exciting night at the Abbey last night, as it always is. Um, so, yeah, feeling a bit jaded around the edges after having to travel two and a half hours to work at from six o'clock this morning. So, um, yeah, if, yeah, if it goes a bit quiet this end, you know, I, I may have nodded off. <laughs> yeah, there'll be a few uh, sore heads, I think, for, from Sunderland fans. Because I just, uh, <laughs> yeah, we are recording the day after the, the midweek fixtures. So, um we can we can uh, talk about that and catch up on that uh, in a bit. But uh, just before we get into the kind of specifics on on the two sides, uh, just a bit about uh, you, Doug, to start with. Um, I mean, are you, are you a fan of Cambridge, or, or, or do you just have the the privilege on reporting on the club? And and how how long have you covered the use? Uh, well, well, my my use story really begins um, back in nineteen eighty one. I went to my first. Use game, and it's not very often you can say this actually because the first time I ever watched the U's play, they won 10 0. Uh, and for a first game, that's not bad. So, you, I was always going to go back. It was, it was admittedly a pre season friendly against a local side called Ivy Hill Rovers. And as I said, my dad t- took me along. I was actually a bit of a late starter in terms of following football, uh, so I was 14 at that point. So, I say a, a bit late to the game, but I've been going relatively avidly since then, really, to be honest. And uh, there was a few years uh, around the time I left school where I didn't go as much. But uh, really, since the late 80s, I've been home and away on, on a regular basis and started writing for the Match Day programme in the early 90s. Uh, and uh, one of my very good friends ended up picking up a job at BBC Radio Cambridgeshire. Uh, he was the, also the programme editor at that time, which is where the where the link comes from, really, as well as standing on the terraces with him and yeah and I guess around 2008 um he was he was um having worked as the uh, the BBC's live match day commentator for the U's for for the BBC for for some years um he said I need a summariser for this afternoon I, I think I was in the pub at the time one Friday Friday <laughs> evening and I think that the game the following day was away at Halifax 
So after a couple of beers, I, I had a bit of Dutch courage and said, yeah, go on, I'll do that. Uh, and haven't really looked back since. And I, I got the gig on a permanent basis back in 2011. And um, yeah, within a, a couple of years, the user got promoted and, and it's been all uphill really from there on since. So, you know, I've been with the BBC for a good number of years and I guess over over time you still have that passion and still want still want the side to do very well but you obviously have a a job to do at the same time so you have to have that kind of that measured view shall we say and that's difficult sometimes yeah brilliant well i i, I wasn't sure kind of if you obviously went back but um you saw because I'm, I'm always fascinated with when it comes to cambridge about the uh the john beck years mm you know, watering the corners and kicking the ball into the corners. I mean, I mean, because you, you hear all these stories about that, you know, John Beck being there. I mean, was it as bad as the stories make out or has it all been kind of embellished over the years? I think, I think it, the, some of the stories were fabricated, but yeah, very much some of the stories <laughs> in essence were true about putting cold tea in the dressing rooms and having the grass <laughs> longer in the corners so the balls could be knocked over the top and they would hold up in the corners for, for the wingers running onto them. So a lot of that was true. And, and really what, what John Beck did, I mean, he was ahead of, ahead of his time in, in many respects, really, Chris, in, in terms of the way that he studied, you know, the tactical side of the game. He studied the dietary side of games and he, and he did everything he could using all the statistics that he had. And I think he was one of the first managers in the Football League to use a statistician for the benefit of of making sure that they had 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 the edge and you know had those those uh, fine margins to win a game. So yeah, a, a lot of what was read about was true, but I say some of it exaggerated a little bit. But what you can't deny under John Beck, they were an extremely successful side. And I think talking about statistics, I think the stat was that they'd beaten seventy five percent of the sides in the four top divisions by the time he departed the club. Well, obviously he had two spells at the club, by the, but the, by the time he departed in, I think it was 1993, they'd beaten a lot of sides and obviously had, you know, a good few promotions in that time as well and a lot of success in the cup competition. So to be a used fan around that time was unbelievable. And I, I, I'm not entirely sure we'll ever see those 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 times will come back again. You never know. You never know in football. Yeah. You can never say no. But um, yeah, they were, they were incredible times, just sweeping all before them. Yeah, well, one thing's for sure. I don't think we'll see another like John Beck, <laughs> to be honest. But uh, some might say, let's hope was, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. It was interesting. We we were lucky enough to to do a podcast with Jordy Craddock. Oh, um, and we, excellent! We, yeah, we, we went all the way back to his uh, Cambridge years, and uh, I asked him because I think he he came in. I think it was a year or two just after. Uh, John Beck left the club, but he said there was a few players still around, mm. and they talked about the amount of uh, running they did on a on a weekly basis. So I think he was glad to just to just miss <laughs> out. But uh, I could probably talk to you about um, you know kind of twenty thirty years ago all, all night. But I'll try and come back to the the kind of the modern day. Um, I was going to say, I mean, looking at Cambridge, you know, recent years, they had um, seven seasons in League Two before they got promoted to League One last year, and. Yep. Um, when I was looking, that the, the highest final position in the six years, you know, since return to the football league, when they returned to League Two, it finished ninth. That was the highest place. So, I mean, was it a bit of a miracle that Mark Bonner pulled off last season by finishing second and getting promoted in his first full season? Uh, I mean, it was remarkable uh, as a standalone season in that in that Mark had come in on an interim basis the season before, um, and to to pull off what he did last season in his first full season as a manager. I mean, he'd actually been appointed towards the end of his interim period in charge the season before. The season was curtailed. So I think he had to wait. I think the 
I think it was just over six months he had to wait after being appointed as the the permanent manager to take charge of his first game. Uh, so it was remarkable, really, that he had to, well, a that he had to wait that that long to to take charge of his first game. But it certainly gave him a lot of time to plan for that first game. Let's put it that way. But yeah, it, 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 last season was was remarkable. And and sometimes, you know, you, you go through various managers at whatever club you support. Uh, and, and for the U's, we had people like Sean Derry in charge, Richard Money, who had taken United, thankfully, out of the, the, the conference and back up to the Football League. Uh, and, and they tried a mix of of, of, of up-and-coming managers that had been uh, with other clubs that used team level or as, a, as an assistant manager. It was really a case of United going through a, a number of managers. Really, I, I think I, I just included Sean Derry in on that as a name manager and Colin Calderwood as well. And, and, and nothing really had worked and it was of huge frustration to to the fans and to everyone really at the club. So for them to achieve the success that they did last season with someone really that had been on their doorstep for for many, many, many years. I mean, Mark's been at the club since, well, not long after he left school and he's worked his way up through the ranks and starting at the um, in the club community schemes and working his way up through the, the youth system, managing the academy and then becoming a first-team coach and then obviously getting his chances as interim manager and he's taken to it like a duck to water, to be honest. Yeah, and, and I, I was funny because I was reading about all of that, how he came to the club and he's had all of these different roles at the club, you know, through the academy. Like you said, even even kind of beyond that, you know, working on the periphery of the academy. But, you know, and then coming up to the first team under Sean Derry, um, I mean, because he'd been at the club for so long, was it kind of someone that, that the fans could get behind quite easily? Uh, yeah, well, it was very easy. And uh, he, he's, a, he's a character that, you know, as I said previously, he's worked in the academy and the academy was very, very successful at United. They produced a good conveyor belt of of young players that, you know, went on to bigger things or, or developed at United and, and managed to bridge that gap between youth team and the first team. Uh, and that's always very, very difficult at any club. And he'd got the, the, the club uh, grade three status. I think it is in the elite performance plan. So they get funding from the Premier League. And he was right behind that and, and steered the club through a lot of that. So he was a... Uh, an individual that was well respected within the club, really from, from from day one, and he's a big United fan. He was a season ticket holder as a as a young lad, so it's a fit that um, is 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 kind of a match made in heaven, shall we say? Yeah, it's it's always good when when they're a fan of the club. But uh, as you said, I mean, you already mentioned a couple of more higher profile names. I mean, we've mentioned Sean Berry, Colin Calderwood. I mean, they struggled to get it right at Cambridge before Mark Bonner. I mean, how how did Mark Bonner go about turning things around? Because it, it happened so quickly compared to, you know, those managers struggling were immediately before him. So so what did he get right kind of from the off? Uh, well, it was pretty remarkable, actually. It, it, it's, it's pretty simple in that he kept it simple. Um, uh, the, the the manager prior to uh, to Mark taking over on a permanent basis uh, was Colin Calderwood. And Mark was, in fact, assistant to Colin. And towards the end of Colin's time, and it really was was replicated when Sean Derry was at the club. Uh, Joe Dunn, to an extent, prior to that, although he was very popular with fans and everyone was sad to see him go, is that football sometimes is a very simple game. And if you overcomplicate it, it's going to get complicated and confusing for the players. And really towards the end of certainly Colin Calderwood's time um, in charge at the, uh, at the club, I mean, if we're sitting there as individuals trying to cover a game and you have no idea of what sort of formations the side are meant to be playing, it's going to be confusing for the players on the on, on the pitch, especially if the, the messages in terms of game plan are not getting across. 
what Mark did when he he took over a, a, on an interim basis and he won his first four games in charge was he played a flat four four two, kept it simple. Everyone knew their jobs. The back line were organised. He, he picked a regular side from, from week to week. It was just the odd change here and there. And it just gave confidence to the entire side. And, and they never looked back, really, to be honest, Chris. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's funny you were talking about that. I was watching the, the Brian Clough documentary, um, I Believe in Miracles. And uh, that's the, the message that comes across about, about being kind of it's a simple game. But, uh, but again, looking at Cambridge, it's uh, 21 years since they were last playing in the third tier. I mean, what type of shape were kind of in behind the scenes to take the step up? Because I was doing some background reading today and there's an announcement that, you know, in the summer there was a £1 million investment. Um, also noticed that recent news that they're in the process of recruiting a new CEO at the club. So, I mean, they've obviously taken that step up from League 2 to League 1. So are they in good shape to keep progressing? Um, I think they are. I mean, the story actually goes back a little bit further than that, um, which I'll touch on. Briefly, Chris, um, Hughes were relegated out of the Football League in 2005 and it, it's fair to say they were an hour or so from completely going out of business. So really, it's been a rebuild really from there. So it took them nine years, sadly, to get back into the Football League from the conference days. But it's been a, a slow re- rebuild both on and off the pitch, thankfully. Uh, and it was a big relief to everyone really to to beat Gateshead in 2014 in the playoff final to get themselves back up into the Football League. And it, it was a mix that day, really, of celebration and, and just sheer relief because the conferences financially and in terms of your your club profile, a, a, a bit of a black hole. And that's no disrespect to the to, to, to the league itself. But, you know, the, the, the Football League is where you want to be, regardless of whether it's Premier League One, League Two, or the Championship—you want to be amongst that that elite ninety-two. So for United to get back up there was 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 a massive relief and, and one of the greatest days in, in in their history, really. And in, in terms of you know the progression since then, I, I don't think anyone really expected it to take six or seven years for them to get back up into you know League One. And as you say earlier, you know it's been twenty years or so since that happened. Mm. Um, so financially, they've had to to get themselves into a, a, a decent shape. Uh, obviously, there was a big influx of cash, cash when they got promoted back into the football league, uh, and that was a challenge for them to to manage because obviously more money coming into the club, you're playing at high level. You know the infrastructure has got to be right, and they didn't quite got it get it right. And and despite you know a, a good flow of income coming in through player sales, obviously the the two massive games against Manchester United in which they made reportedly about one point nine million pound. You know that 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 money and that 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 financial management wasn't quite in place. So they've had a bit of an overhaul in terms of the board. Uh, Paul Barry, that now is now the chairman and uh, and main benefactor, along with two other shareholders at the club uh, has injected a lot of cash there on a, a much better financial footing and you mentioned the CEO um, Ian Mather who came from a, a large professional firm of lawyers um, had no real football background but you know came on board at United got them in ship shape fashion on a day-to-day basis got the financial management right and really for the last two or three perhaps four years it's been so much better at the club and you know they're they're, they're well placed to 
to perhaps progress a little bit further. Um, I think if you can get your infrastructure right, both off the pitch and on the pitch, you know, the two work very well in tandem. Yeah, you're preaching the converted with Sunderland fans the way we've been uh, managed uh, over the last decade or so. But uh, yeah, I mean, tw- like I said, 21 years since they've been at this level. And I was taking um, a look at the ins and outs during the summer transfer windows. Uh, obviously, Mark Bonner was preparing for you know the challenge of League One. Um, and actually, a couple of major departures I noticed. First, uh, striker Paul Mullen, who scored 32 mm. league goals last season. He rejected a new contract and then dropped down to the National League with Wrexham. And um, as well as uh, Kyle uh, Knoyle, I think, uh, I think it was who was highly rated yes, right back. Right, yeah, who yeah, made the um, League Two team of the year last season. So, I mean, did those departures come as major blows in the summer, and you know, people maybe weren't expecting them? Uh, well, I think uh, certainly in the case of Paul Mullin, I mean, anyone that scored the number of goals that that, that Paul did last season, thirty-two, as you mentioned. Yeah, uh, one or two more in the in, in the cups as well. So thirty-four. You know, he was always going to be a player that was in demand. Uh, in fact, we we well, I did read one or two things about Sunderland being connected to him in terms of wanting to perhaps sign him. A- any player that scored that level of goals is always going to be uh, a- an appeal for any club, isn't it? But what we didn't expect is for him to to, to drop down to to conference level. Paul was a player that. Um, you know, he lives up in the north, up in the northwest. He was still travelling down for training and for matches from the northwest. So it was always a bit of a given that perhaps he wouldn't stick around if he got a decent offer in that area of the country. But for him to move to Wrexham and drop down two divisions after United had been promoted was, I wouldn't say a blow, but um, it was it was it was a big surprise. It was a big surprise. We we thought he'd be well set to stay at the club. He had a really good sh- relationship with Mark Bonner, who had given him the opportunity to play in the role that he'd wanted to play in for his entire career, which was up front as a centre forward. People kept playing him out of position. And that thing, I think, irked him a little bit. So the fact that Mark gave him that opportunity and he's repaid him with that number of goals, um, I think... A lot of fans thought he would perhaps stick around, but it, it, it wasn't the case. But I, I guess if you look back on it now, and certainly with United having moved up a division and they're playing a very, very different system, they're playing, playing a different style of football. And I'm not entirely sure that Paul being at the club would have worked in terms of the players they have now, the system that they play and the way they line up game to game in terms of their game plan against, you know, different opposition. I'm not sure it would have been a fit. So you look back on it now in retrospect and think, okay, perhaps it wasn't the worst move in the world. I mean, Paul is is massively respected at the club, always will be. He even had a stand named after him last season after scoring all those goals. It was a temporary fit, but... You know, it was something that, you know, the sponsors wanted to do just to, 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 to mark what he'd done for the club. And, you know, it was a club record. It was a football league record. Uh, and he'll be ever remembered um, in United history as the man that did what he did and, and ended up getting promoted with the club. But, you know, p- players move on. You, uh, you learn after a number of years watching football, as you will, Chris, as well, that, you know, you, you, you're never really surprised in football. Anything can happen from day to day in the game. And you mentioned Carl Noel there as well. That was a big blow losing him because, say, League Two team of the year. You know, he was he's a very energetic fullback. You know, he created lots. He scored one two goals as well. Uh, and and in terms of his out and out defending, um, very very good. Lots of pace. Uh, and we thought Doncaster had a real player on their hands when they signed him. But obviously, we know Doncaster are really struggling. So I wonder if he's regretting that move. 
Yeah, yeah, maybe. And um, I mean, but it's always about, you know, those players late, but it's always about the players you, you bring in. And I was taking a look at those and I was not noticed, obviously, the first thing I kind of sprung out was a, there was a kind of a few young players like uh, uh, Jack Lancaster from Ipswich. Uh, tw- mm. He was 21, Charlotte Tracy from Spurs and Sam Smith from Redden. They're both 23. I mean, th- those young players, is that something Mark Bonner has done since he took over in terms of being able to give like the young players opportunity and bring those younger players in. Uh yes, I mean I mean obviously coming from from a from a background of, you know, having uh worked through the academy at the club and, you know, spending so much time and investing so much time in in, in nurturing young talent, I think it was it was obvious really that when he became permanent manager, he was going to look for that kind of player, the kind of player that you know, it was ingrained in the club in terms of, you know, coming up through the youth system, you know, has worked really hard to bridge that gap between youth football and first team football. Uh, and a lot of the players that he's brought in, people like, as you say, Sam Smith, Shiloh Tracy, not quite made it at their respective clubs. So for Shiloh Tracy, that would be Spurs. And he snapped them up knowing that they've got that core talent. Shiloh Tracy was actually on loan for a short spell last season at the club and played a part in promotion. It was clearly not going to work out for him at Spurs. And what United have done here and what Mark Bonner has done is that they've bought him players, not just for this season, but for next season, the season after and the season after that, to ensure there's that that that, that young blood, that young talent at the club that can really, really progress. And and you never know, in future years, you know, after a little bit of success with the club, maybe sold on for, you know, a big ticket day in terms of transfers. So, um, yeah, it's certainly one thing he's got very much in mind is, you know, he's buying talent and he knows how to spot it as well. Yeah, I mean, we've we've talked about that that kind of season that almost came out of the blue with, with promotion and, you know, a couple of players leave, big players leaving in the summer and these kind of younger players coming through. So, I mean, I was trying to think about this. How, how how did Cambridge fans look at this season in League One? You know, were they expecting a tough season where they were trying to survive? Because um, I'll have to admit at this point in our round table on, on our website for our annual predictions, um, we there were seven of us. And uh, as a collective, we all had uh, Cambridge finishing bottom. I think there was two two of us who didn't, but I think one of them was second mm. bottom. But, uh, but did the fans accept that this could be a tough season before balls kick? Um, I, I think most fans knew it was going to be a challenge, but I mean a challenge in the, in the right way, not, um, oh, are we going to get relegated first time and be back in League Two and it take another seven years to get back. A challenge in, uh, in terms of a step up to another grade of football, that was going to be the challenge, really. Uh, and it was interesting, you you, you, were, you saying about... Um, you know, getting together as a as a group and, and looking at the the sides in League One, who was going to struggle, who perhaps was going to be at the right end of the table, you know, who was going to have a you know a fair to middling season. And I listened to, as we all do, probably a good half a dozen to ten podcasts where people are predicting who's going to do what. Uh, and really, for 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 the use, their team talk every game was written before the season had even. Started because United, along with Morecambe and Cheltenham, all predicted to go down by my, by most people. And Mark Bonner just pinned that up on the dressing room wall and said, "Well, there we go. There's your there's your motivation." So it, it was it was a season that we 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 knew was going to be a challenge for the U's, but they've really taken the ball by the horns. And we, we you know we and I think everyone knew that there was going to be a few bumps in the road, um, and that's always going to happen when you step up a league, you know. And there has been some harsh lessons. The game at, at home to Lincoln where they got hammered five one. Uh, the game last Saturday or the Saturday before at MK Dons when they were swept aside really. But you know they pulled off some really good results as well. And I think. 
they've held their own. I think they will continue to hold their own. Um, and it's it's it, it's nice to just kind of buck the trend a bit of not just being labelled as a club that are small in status, so we're going to struggle at the wrong end of the table. So. Yeah, it's funny. I was taking a look at the season so far, and it's been it's been kind of a story of peaks and troughs, a kind mm. of mini runs so far. I mean, the season started off, you know, quite well, three wins and only two defeats in the first seven. But then the wins dried up, and then there was seven without a win before a couple of uh, victories in succession. Uh, then the last three have been tough with defeats to MK Dons and Rotherham away, but an impressive two all draw at Wigan in midweek. Um, so Cambridge is sitting 15th, seven points above the drop, nine away from the playoffs. Seems to me like, uh, I mean, just looking from the outside and especially what we predicted, pretty solid start to the season. But but kind of what's your assessment of the season so far? Um, I, I've really enjoyed actually watching them them progress throughout, throughout the season and make that step up. Um, to be honest, from day one, I, I knew they wouldn't struggle. I knew they wouldn't be sat in the bottom four for the entire season. They're, they're, they're too good for that. They've got too much nous. Uh, and Mark Bonner is too astute a manager to to not recognise the challenges that are ahead of him. But the, the season, you know, today, I mean, if you look at some of the clubs uh, at League One level, I mean, it, it's an interesting league, isn't it, Chris, really, when you've got clubs like yourselves, Sunderland, you've got MK Dons up there, Rotherham, who were in the Championship last year, Sheffield Wednesday, you've got Ipswich, and then the other end of the scale where you've got clubs like United, clubs like Morecambe, clubs like Accrington, although they've been in an established League One club for, for some years now. Uh, and and the, the the distance in terms of status between one end of the spectrum and the other is absolutely huge. Um, but I, I think United have kind of embraced that this, this season. And all they look at is the fact that you you go out on a match day and at the end of the day, regardless of club history, fan base, the badge the status is still 11 v 11. And I think that's what's been ingrained in them. And for them to step up a level and take points off of Portsmouth, Ipswich, Sheffield Wednesday, Oxford and away at Plymouth in a in a really good 1-1 draw. And if you look at the form that Plymouth had, aside of last night, of course, I lost mm. um, at home to Wickham, didn't they? Um, that one will draw against a side that have, have pretty much dominated this season in League One. Was was a result that they'll look back on and think that was a, a more than decent point. There's a lot of clubs that will go there and lose this season and have in fact done so so far. So to pick up points against those sides is, is excellent. But you know there are still lessons to be learned. You know we talked about the MK Dons game a couple of weeks back. You know where they and have done all season have a habit of conceding early goals in a the game. They keep falling behind in games. So that's been a real handicap for them this season. But but they're they're a resilient side that they um they never know when they're beaten and they do pull off surprise results as well. So Yeah. And and obviously, you know, nineteen games in, mm. I mean you've just said there that you're you you're enjoying watching the, the progression. So I mean what's the feeling at the moment within the club and maybe with the fans as well? But are they because I mentioned that kind of points difference to the playoffs and points difference to the drop. It's not not too much in it. I mean, are, are they still looking over their shoulder with a bit of fear they might get dragged back into it? Or have they got a few eyes thinking, you know, we might have a sniff of the playoffs this season? Uh, well, I, I would say that, that that particular outlook has changed a little bit after last night to an extent because, you know, they were with five minutes to go against Wigan, who, you know, again, up there with one of the top sides in, in League One in terms of who you would expect to be at the top end of the table come the end of the season. Um, Say so five minutes ago, they're 2-0 up. 
absolutely coasting, going in, going back into the top half of the table. All of a sudden, Wigan score, tw- score twice. You're back down to 15th in the table, and then everyone's looking at the gap to the bottom four. So things just <laughs> change so, so quickly uh, in football. But I, I, I don't think, and I think this is a view shared by many fans, I don't think there's that many used fans out there that are really worrying about looking over their shoulder and seeing that there's a six, seven-point gap. That They know, having watched the used this season, what a resilient side are they are, how quickly they're learning their lessons at League One level. And, and you just feel they've got an extra gear. There's more to come from this side. So I think people are looking upwards rather than over their shoulders, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, just actually just getting into that game because you mentioned it, the the um, the Wigan game um, the other night. I mean, how, how did that game go, obviously, because it's interesting looking at ahead of possibly similar dynamics at the weekend because I was looking at the stats and looking at the stats, you'd think, oh, well, Wigan had most of the game, but um, obviously Cambridge took a two-goal lead. So, I mean, how, how what was kind of the ebb and flow of that game? Um, pretty much as expected. I mean, it was similar in some ways to the game last Saturday, at Rotherham, who I have to say are probably the best side I've seen this season, Rotherham. Very athletic, very energetic, uh, up and at them from the first whistle. And I think I think that's certainly what Mark Bonner and his side are, are learning this season in that, you know, with, with sides of that ilk, you know, have a big budget, you know, they've got a, a squad full of internationals, they've got a squad full of players that, you know, are played at the highest level and you can't go out and dominate a game otherwise, or try and dominate a game, otherwise you're going to get beaten five or six nil every week. So they have to sit in and they just have to be dogging them in, in what they do and, and they just soak up pressure and just try to be disciplined and they try to be organised. And yes, they lost 3-1 at, at Rotherham last Saturday, but certainly for a good hour of the game, they really had Rotherham on the rack at 2-0. They pulled it back to 2-1. Great goal from Sam Smith. Great involvement from Wes Hulad, who I'm sure we'll talk about in a moment or two, Chris. Uh, and they really had Rotherham on the ropes. Unfortunately, Rotherham's quality told in the end and they scored a third. But it was a very similar situation last night where where, where, where the U's kept it tight. They kept it solid for the opening half an hour or so and just really frustrated Wigan. Wigan didn't manage to get that breakthrough that they wanted. And you can have all the possession you want in the world. It doesn't win you games of football. So they managed to get the breakthrough just before half-time through Joe Ironside. Um, and you could see the Wigan heads drop a little bit. And it's it's always quite telling, really, when you see that in a side. And we've seen it a number of times because I think there's so much pressure on big clubs like that to, to come to a club that they envisage as a smaller club, a club that they should perhaps, and a side that they should be beating. And to put in the effort they do and then go in at half-time 1-0 down, they must be scratching their heads thinking, well, where do we go from here? They came out <laughs> fairly timid, I have to say, in the in the second half. United got themselves a second goal on... I think it was 52 minutes uh, and they were in complete control. But, you know, we were talking about learning lessons and they switched off a couple, switched off a couple of times, you know, in the last five minutes. And all of a sudden, uh, what looks like a comfortable win turns into a draw, which feels like a defeat. Yeah, actually, because you mentioned him there. I mean, where's Houlihan, um, 39 years old and kind of, I think he, but he almost looked like a never present in terms of how many games he played last season. He didn't miss too many games last season. I noticed he missed the, the game um, against uh, Wigan the other night, but played against Rotherham. I mean, mm. is he fit for the weekend? Uh, yeah, he'll be fit. Um, the the, um, the thing with Wes Houlihan is that, I mean, he's 39 now, mm. uh, which still seems young compared to, the, well, certainly to <laughs> me anyway, um, but uh, and, and a fantastic pro, but he, he doesn't play midweek. 
he 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 only plays on a, on a Saturday. I think last season, mm-hmm. I think there was one midweek game that he played, uh, but they, it, I think it's what they call cotton wool management, uh, and they just have to just just manage his match minutes because he can't go out and play Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday. Last night was actually the twelfth midweek game the user played so far this season, which is way beyond anything from last season. They're actually playing next Tuesday and the Tuesday after. So it's quite a lot of football for for them to play without Wes Houlihan. Um, so they do have to manage his minutes. I don't think he does a full week's training like some of the other players do. But he makes up for it by coming onto the pitch on a Saturday and more often than not, completely running the show sometimes. He's one of those players that, uh, I mean, I'm lucky enough not to have to pay to get into games, but I would pay just to watch Wes Houlihan play football. He is unbelievable at certainly at league 2 level even at league 1 you know he can he can run games on his, on his own single handed he's a an incredible player and obviously has a huge amount of experience behind him yeah and uh, that we said cuz obviously with him being missing the other night against mm. Wigan but he played at the weekend against Rotherham i mean will is it is if Lee Johnson looks at it, is he looking at two different teams? <laughs> you know, one with Wesleyland in it and one without. Because because if they, if they played that well against someone like Wigan, will Mark Bonner be tempted, you know, to to stick with the same side, or would he just, you know, Wesleyland's back, so he goes straight in? Yes, he does. It's the latter. Yeah, he goes straight back in, and yeah, I guess it must be confusing for some managers actually looking at it and thinking, <laughs> right, we've done our homework, we can do this, we can. Do... But what they don't account for is where Zulan coming back into the side. So yeah, it's it's an interesting situation for the U's because for long spells, certainly in the first half of last season, they couldn't win on a Tuesday night for love and money when Wes wasn't playing and they've had to learn different ways. They've had to learn how to adapt their game to play without him. Sometimes it means playing a slightly different system, but he also means that there is an opportunity for other players to step up, whether it be youngsters, whether it be seasoned pros, whether it be players that have been at the club for a long time, it's their opportunity to step up and and fill his boots and give him a little bit of competition and gives Mark Bonner something else to to think about. And in the second half of last season, they started picking up those midweek wins and just learned to play without. It's quite a unique situation, really. You don't get it at too many clubs. I've certainly never known it, you know, at the, at the U's, but that's the position they're in. You know, they, they, they know that, you know, sacrificing him for, for midweek games means he's fresh and ready to go and put in the performances that he does on a Saturday. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it shows how many games up. I'm sure I saw he played like four, about 40 games last season. So it just shows how many <laughs> fixtures there is in a season. But uh, yeah, but you, you've, mentioned kind of, you've mentioned kind of style of play and what, what Mark Bonner likes to do. And I was looking at Cambridge's home form um, and it just seems like they're really solid because it's, it's not spectacular. I mean, they've only got two defeats out of um, out of the ten, but mm. uh, they've drew half of those games at home. So you know, it's not it's not kind of spectacular, but they, they don't they're not easy, quite difficult to beat. So I mean, if Lee Johnson looks at those games, will he know exactly how Mark Bonner is going to approach it? Does he kind of set his stall out, or could could he change things up? Yeah, I mean, he he, he has two different ways of playing. Sometimes Mark Bonner, you know, against the sides that he knows um, like to come, whether it's at the Abbey or, uh, or away from home, they like to dominate a game. And he'll pick a slightly more reserved side in terms of knowing that he's got players on the pitch that have the defensive discipline, but have the attacking flair to go forward and take the game to an opposition, you know, as and when 
and they're patient and they build up and they pick and choose their moments, really. So I, I think to answer your question, Lee Johnson will know exactly how the user are going to line up. He knows they're going to play a 4 2 3 1. They can have two holding midfielders sat in front of the back four, and then they'll have three players in front of them that have defensive qualities but have pace and can take the game to an opposition. And, and, and essentially are an outlet. The last thing you want to do is sit with 10 behind the ball and show no ambition at all. He, he, he likes to have that balance between defensive solidity and having players like Shiloh Tracy, Wes Houlihan, James Brophy on the pitch that, that can attack and, and pick little holes in the, in the, in the opposition backline. But I so say they have to be careful about how they approach those games in picking and choosing their moments. Because as I said before, if you went gung-ho, you'd end up losing every game 5 or 6 nil in this division. So, so Lee Johnson would have done his homework. Um, he knows roughly how United will line up in terms of a 4-2-3-1 um, against sides this season where he knows that perhaps there isn't the attacking flair that there is in some sides in the division. He will go with a 4-4-2, but I don't think he'll do that on Saturday. Yeah, no, I was looking obviously in that Joe Einside's got um, eight goals so far this season and he got one in midweek against uh, against Wigan. Um, I mean, is that kind of combination with that front three sitting behind Einside, is that the obvious thing that Lee Johnson's going to be looking at? You know, that kind of maybe the Wes Houlihan Einside and whoever's whoever's wide of uh, Houlihan, is that kind of the combination we're going to be looking at? Yes, yeah, that's what you see. I mean, Joe has been an absolute star this season. Um, in last year, going back to, to 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 the promotion season, Paul Mullen being there, Joe was almost a player that was in the shadows a little bit. I mean, he got fourteen goals himself, provided I think eight or nine assists as well. Um, but when you're playing alongside a fella that's got thirty four. You're never going to be the man that's spoken about. He's always going to be the man that scores all the goals. So, although Joe got Joe got fourteen and put in a, you know, a, a, an amazing performance week in week out, you know he's now become the main man. You know, and and stepping up a level to to League One. You know, he scored his his eighth last last night. Sam Smith that plays just behind him. Um, in that three, who is a striker, but they've adapted his role this season. So, and he plays in that attacking three behind Joe Ironside. He's got eight himself this season. In fact, four in the last five. So he's a player that really needs to be watched. Wes Houlihan, we talked about, he'll play in the middle of those three. And then you've got the pick of either James Brophy or Shiloh Tracy as the other man in that three. Shiloh Tracy, you know, he's just coming back from a, a few weeks out injured. Uh, so whether he plays or not, we're not entirely sure, but they'll pick three players that have got a bit of creative flair and a little bit of pace as well, so that you make sure that Joe up top isn't too isolated. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting out wide, especially with you know a bit, bit of pace out wide with the likes of Smith or Brophy or somebody, because uh, we've got uh, square pegs and round holes at fullbacks uh, at the minute. So it'll be be an interesting uh, combination. But um, but yeah, I mean, again, I was I was looking back at uh, when we last met, and there was a. 7-0 victory in the League <laughs> Cup for us back in 2002, uh, which was Peter Reid's last win as Sunderland manager. So I'd, I'd take that result again. But I was I was going back to the um, the last league game at the Abbey Stadium and we have to go back to September 1992 when John Beck's Cambridge United beat Malton Crosby Sunderland in Barclays League Division 1, uh, which is the championship in new money. Uh, goals from Lee Philpott, Phil Chappell, uh, David Rush got one back for us. Um, so it's almost 30 years mm. since we met in the league um are Cambridge fans looking forward to this one and is it a sign of the progress the club is making that that this fixture we've had this fixture again after almost 30 years 
Yeah, it's incredible. I was looking at exactly the same stats uh, a little earlier today. And um, yeah, 29, close to 30 years since the two mm. sides met in in the Football League. I was hoping we were going to brush past the uh, the League Cup game back in <laughs> back in October 2002. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's been a long time. And it's a measure really of how, uni- how long United have been away from this standard of football. Uh, and that's one of the enjoyable things, I think, this season is that, you know, for, for many U's fans, it's the first time they've seen these kind of fixtures. But that's why you get promoted. You get promoted so you have a higher level of football it's better entertainment for the fans, you know, and you get the, the bigger days out like Sunderland and the bigger days out like Wigan and Ipswich and Portsmouth. That's why you're in football, really. And, and it's, the, it's the reward you get for, for getting promoted and the fans will really enjoy it. And it's already a sellout for, for Saturday, of course. Mm. Yeah, well, I, I imagine that would be uh, that that would be kind of almost a given for for a fixture like this, and like you say, with with the Ipswiches and and all that, I imagine the fans are, are loving it, especially a season like this when kind of so many big clubs are in League One. I bet it's a fantastic year to to, to jump up to the third tier. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, it goes back to what we were saying earlier about there being, you know, some very very big clubs. You know, in this particular division, you've got clubs like United and Cheltenham. You know, Morecambe just come up and. Um, and for, for certainly for Morecambe, it's the first time they've been in this division. So for for United to be back in this league and and be be preparing for and looking forward to these kind of fixtures and and, and selling out, you know, the, the ground. I think it's the third time this season the ground has completely sold out. is 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 amazing, and um, it just it just makes you think, you know, how long they have actually been away. You mentioned the 20 years in terms of championship football, even longer than that. But it would be good to welcome welcome Sunderland back. And yeah, let's hope it's a repeat of the last league game. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not going to ask for a prediction on the game, um, partly because I'm, I'm slightly concerned. But uh, but with uh, Cambridge's um, season having the potential, as we talked earlier, to, to end up at kind of either end of the table almost. I mean, you said you're pretty confident that they've got enough now not to get dragged in. But um, I thought, you know, just for a, a quick prediction where you might think Cambridge might end up at the end of the season, do you think they're going to be about where they are now, they're going to kind of have a, a kind of stabilising season, or do you think they could uh, maybe challenge a bit further up? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they'll, they'll they'll have their good moments and they'll have their, their not so good moments, uh, and they'll have lots of sort of fair to middling days. And um, I actually was asked before the season started where I thought United would end up, and I said either fourteenth or fifteenth. And after nineteen games. They're, they're sat 15th, aren't they? So, uh, so uh, you know, I think they've got too much nous about them and the the the, the management staff in uh, Mark Bonner. And we mustn't forget Gary Waddock, who's an experienced coach. He's assistant manager alongside Mark Bonner or assistant head coach. Uh, and I think the whole playing staff and those coaching staff have just got too much in them and they know there's a little bit more in this United side to come to worry about the wrong end of the table. Let's hope that. That, that that rings true towards the end of the campaign. But I, I think they'll end up, you know, solidly 14th or 15th, Chris. Good stuff. And, and you said you were looking at stats for the game, so I assume you're covering it. Yes, yeah, yeah. We'll be there Saturday and uh, hopefully it's a good atmosphere. And let, let's hope a good game, Chris, regardless of the result. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's one of those games that, you know, obviously with a, you know, imagine for yourself kind of summarising in empty stadiums and things like this. This is the type of weekend you want, don't you? Big team coming down, bigger way following, home fans to sell out. I mean, this this is kind of why we love football games like this, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I remember many, many games back in, you know, we talked about the, the last league fixture between the, the two sides at the Abbey 29 years ago. There was a, a game at Roker Parker a, a few months later that was a three-all draw. But, um, but certainly days at the Abbey... 
um, like this have been, it's been such a long time coming. It really has. Aside of cup games against, you know, they've had over the last few years against Leeds and against Manchester United, to be to be facing these kind of fixtures week after week is absolutely brilliant. And after such a strange season for everyone last time round, I mean, you know, we were travelling all over the country and going to home games at the Abbey in empty stadiums and it was so bizarre. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hopefully we'll never see that like again. And uh I think certainly the the opening few games of this season when fans were back in the stadium, especially after promotion, was was a really really special time, and I think that was felt you know all over the country for many many fans at many clubs. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, I hope you enjoy uh, the game on Saturday, and the atmosphere is uh, fantastic, and hopefully the Sunderland fans can can be a part of that. And uh, I just want to say thanks for thanks for joining us and taking the time out for us, Doug. It's uh, it's been fascinating and an absolute pleasure. That's a pleasure, Chris. Thanks very much. And I, I was going to say it's not until April when Cambridge visit the stadium like, but it would be great to catch up with you then. And it's going to be the penultimate game of the season. It, so it that, will that be. Should be interesting. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see um, what sort of situation both clubs are in at the time. Um, I actually, I've got a lot of family in North, in the northeast, so I'll be staying up that way uh, for a few days, no doubt. So um, yeah, perhaps we'll bump into each other. Good stuff. We'll have to catch up. Okay. Well, thanks again, Doug. Really appreciate it. No problems, Chris. And thanks again, everyone, for listening. Keep a look out at Rocker Report for all the build-up ahead of the game at Cambridge on Saturday and keep an eye out on all the usual places for the next pod that should be dropping very soon. Uh, but from us, it's bye for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.